Good morning, everyone. Man, I am glad to see everyone today. Leslie, it's good to see you. You know what? I just went blank. You know, I'm going to make you feel special like uh, uh, Jesse just made somebody. Jessica and her husband. What's, what's your name? I'm sorry. What? Van, there we go. See, I made you feel special, didn't I, Van? Well, see, I, I stalk your wife on Facebook, so I'm always... <sighs> Glad you guys are here today. Uh, there's nobody else that I see that I can't remember your name, so I can't really embarrass myself again over that. Uh, today we're talking about defenders of life and how we should be defenders of life. And when I say that, say that because today is the 49th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. The scripture that I'm going to use for us as our launch point is Psalm 82, verses 3 and 4. It says this, Vindicate the weak and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and destitute. Rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them out of the hand of of the wicked. See what God tells us to do as Christians. As his followers, he tells us to vindicate, to do justice, to rescue, deliver. And what he's telling us is that those who cannot fight for themselves need someone who can stand up and fight for them. And he is empowering us to do just that. Oh, by the way, wanna, we have special guests today. I just noticed them. They tried to sneak in. They were quiet. Jo uh, yeah, Josh and Laura. almost forgot Josh's name, you know. But they are from Alabama. And you know what? They're standing up for those who can't fight for themselves. They are adopting a child here in California. And uh, they have been uh, guests in California for about a week, or a little over a week. And the little baby, Thalia, is with them. Tell you what, defenders of life, thank you guys so much. So we are to vindicate, to do justice, rescue, deliver, and it's those who cannot fight for themselves. And Roe v. Wade uh, was a landmark decision by the U.S. Supreme Court that declared declared a pregnant woman is entitled to have an abortion until the end of the first trimester of pregnancy without any, inter any interference. Now, since Roe v. Wade was made law in 1973, there have been around 60 million abortions in the United States. I tell you, that, that number takes your breath away. That number uh, causes me to pause when you think that there could be 60 million more citizens. Could, you could take an Albert Einstein and cast him away. It could be another Bill Gates. It could be a Steve Jobs. It could be, and you just, you just don't know what we've missed out on by these 60 million lives being cast away. 
what we're talking about today, though, is the sanctity of life. And we have all kinds of different battlefronts in the sanctity of life issue. But what it seems is that as culture moves forward, it has become more and more callous toward the sanctity of life. What we want to talk about next is one of the most dangerous places in the world to be. And as we, we talk about it is, it, is it going to be your automobile? Is it going to be a war zone where people are being bombed or being shot at? But I'm going to tell you that there are worse places to be than any of those that I've just mentioned. See, greater esteem for love of human life is needed everywhere, not just in war zones of the world. You see, actually, the most dangerous place to be in the United States today is the womb of a woman and not yet be born. More death has happened there in the last year than all the diseases combined. I just want to go over some of the things that have killed people uh, in recent years. Katrina, back in 2005, killed 1,833 people, and that was big news. In fact, uh, some of us here loaded up and went and did work. The Twin Towers uh, claimed the lives of 2,977 people. Car accidents every year caused about 38,000 different people to die. Gun violence, 45,000. And weather-related events, see about 500 succumb to that each year. When we talk about heart disease, there's about... Uh, 700,000 people, which is a little bit more than, than uh, abortions at this time. Cancer takes 600,000. COVID-19 last year took 345,000 lives. Unintentional injuries, 192,000. So you see the fact that we have over 600,000 abortions a year, the most dangerous place in the United States is the womb. What I want to say, though, is that if you are someone that made that choice, as much as we will talk negatively about it today, what we want you to know is that our God is a God of grace. Our God is a God of forgiveness. And you made a, if you have made a bad decision at some time, guess what? You have just joined a group of people that make bad decisions. You see, if you made that decision, we don't want you to feel bad. I don't want to rub your face in it. I don't want to uh, kick you in the stomach. I don't want any of those things to be about. Because what I want you to do is realize that we here at Davis Park Church of Christ believe in the sanctity of life. You see, preborn babies are being taken from their mother's wombs at a greater rate than cancer, heart disease, and kidney failure. Over 2,000 babies are robbed of life every day in these United States, and that comes to over 600,000. I want to give you a positive note on that, though. When we first started talking about this, the first time I preached about it was in 2008. At that time, there were over 1.2 million abortions a year. 
now we only have 600,000 a year. And although that is an alarming figure, the fact is that as we preach about it, as we pray about it, abortion is becoming less and less thought of as a solution. One of the things that I questioned as I was developing the material today is why are fewer American women getting abortions? I'm going to say number one what I believe is it's prayer. The prayer of righteous people availeth much and God is listening and God has put it on the hearts of people not to get abortions. But also along those lines, some of the things that have helped is that it is getting harder to get an abortion. Uh, states have tougher abortion laws now than they had previously. Also, the need for abortions has gone down. Teen pregnancy is at an all-time low, and praise God for that. But also, fewer women feel comfortable about getting an abortion. You see, Americans are moving away from embracing, embracing abortion, not running toward it today. And I believe that's a good thing. See, preborn children have no means of defense. They are encapsulated inside the womb. They are inside their mothers, and they cannot flee the situation. You see, preborn children are at the mercy of the mother who partnered in the conception of them. And preborn children must have advocates willing to speak up to them because they are silent. I know I have your attention right now because everybody's quiet and somber, and this is a somber issue. You see, what we're talking about is a matter of life and death. And the sanctity of life is an essential part of the Christian faith. After all, we were made in the image of God, that God actually formed Adam and breathed life into him, and also, I believe that the Bible makes it clear that life begins at conception. In Psalm 139, 13 through 16, it says, For you have formed my inward parts, you wove me into my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and my soul knows it very well. God formed the baby in the womb. Continuing, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written days that were ordained for me, and as yet there was not one of them. God sees the baby, and God, because he is outside of time, knows the life of the baby before the life happens. You see, God forms the inward parts of the preborn infant. And then God weaves all the body together in the womb of the mother, and God develops the structure of the child and knows the future path while the child is still developing in the womb. And that, my friends, is the miracle of life. God knows, God knows how to, to bring a body together, and then God lets that life unfold. In Isaiah 44, 2, it says this. Let's say, it's the Lord who made you and formed you in the womb. Who will help you? Do not fear. 
O Jacob, my servant. And you, Yeshurun, whom I have chosen, the Lord made you and formed you in the womb. God made us while we were in the womb. God formed us while we were in the womb, and God expects us to protect infants in the womb. Jeremiah 1.5 Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Remember, if we don't speak the message of God, no one can hear it. And God makes us so that we can live and proclaim him as Savior. See, God knows the children in the womb, and God has set us apart. Set us apart means consecrated, means he has made us holy. He has made us for his own uses, uh, and this goes back even before we are born. And what I always like is, you say something like, a baby is alive in the womb, and people will taunt you and say, how do you know that? And what I say is, turn to Luke 141. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby left in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And 44, for behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby left in the womb for joy. You see, the future John the Baptist is in the womb, in the stomach of his mother, uh, down here in the uterus, and while there is this conversation between Mary and her, John the Baptist jumps. You see, when the presence of the unborn Savior to the world, King of Kings, Jesus, came near him the very first time, John knew it and jumped. You see, he was alive. So let's explore what God wants us to do. It'd be very easy for, for me to tell you what Buddy Gray believes you need to do. But I am very fallible. I am just a man. And so what I want to do is, is look at what the Bible has to say about this. And remember, we started off with Psalm 82, verses 3 and 4, where it talks about vindicating the weak and the fatherless, do justice to the afflicted and the destitute, rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. Man, I'll tell you what, starting off with the first one, vindicate the weak and the fatherless. To vindicate means to uphold something, to defend or maintain something, such as cause or rights. The psalmist here calls for God's people to defend those who cannot defend themselves. The psalmist calls on God's people to step in where parents cannot assume their roles. Folks, we have a responsibility. We have a need that is going on all the time around us. In verse 3 where it says, Do justice to the afflicted and the destitute. Again, stand up for those who cannot stand up for themselves. Stand up for those without the resources to take care of themselves. Stand up for the right treatment of those who have no voice. Many years ago, I invited many people here to come and go to the Life Chain event, which happened 
a week ago this Sunday. Uh, it's happened uh, around 47, 48 times. But for some reason, not many people show up or showed up. And I understand that, that as you stand there holding your sign that is anti-abortion, that you take ridicule. That, that people will bemoan the fact that you would actually publicly uh, stand up for God and say what God says you need to say. I know it's embarrassing. I know that people hurl things at you. I know that they, uh, best in, in Modesto, they, at least they hurl uh, words at you. But God asked you and me to do justice to the afflicted and the destitute. I will say this. I'm not an activist, okay? I am not a person who lives in the land of delirium. I am not going to hold up a sign that shows a multi-fractured body of an infant. I don't believe that works. I just want people to know that there are other choices available. And God wants us to stand up for those that can't stand up for themselves. Verse 4, rescue the weak and the needy. Christians must help remove these preborn children from danger. We need to, uh, like Josh and Laura have done, step in when parents know that they aren't going to be able to take care of a child. You, you, we have to be more available for the alternatives that there are to help young women through these situations. You see, we have to work to prevent preborn from being discarded, rejected, or put out of the mother's womb. Verse 4 told us to deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. You see, Christians must help those preborn babies find their way into the world. We have to be family. We have to be friends. We have to be the people that these women, these young girls, can rely on. We have to find ways for the preborn to find their way into homes where they will be loved. You see, that's what it boils down to. And I know this is a tough, uh, because I, I hear your silence right now. I feel the tension in the room. You see, our action, though, is a matter of love. God expects us to love the world. Love the Lord, your God, with heart, mind, and soul, and a second one not, uh, like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two most important commands. And Jesus explicitly states that those two are the most important. But what I want to tell you is, is that love just can't sit here. Love requires action. Love requires us to, to move and to be moved. Moving from Matthew, which I just quoted, to Mark 12, 30, 31. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is thus. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Remember, the basis, the heart of Christianity is love. Love for God and love for neighbor. Proverbs 24, 11 and 12. 
rescue those being led away to death, hold back those staggering toward the slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will not he repay each one according to what he has done? Man, God is speaking to us here. Listen to what God has to say. He's, he's giving us a guide to what we need to do. The first one is we need to be informed. We can't put our blinders on anymore. We can't, we can't be ignorant or seemingly think that we are ignorant of what goes on at Planned Parenthood or the other abortion mills around the state. Hosea 4.6 says this, My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. The fact of the matter, it's in our face, it's before us, it's right there for us to grasp. The knowledge that we need to know what's going on behind the closed doors is available. He also tells us in this that we need to be interceding. He says, if my people are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Folks, our land needs to be healed. And what he's telling us here is, is not complicated. Humble ourselves. Pray. Get down on your knees and pray. And then repent. That is, turn from your ways. What happens when you repent? God forgives. And God heals. He also asks us to be involved. And see, this is the tough part, is, is actually... Uh, going from saying, I believe this, to doing it. In Matthew 25, verse 40, it says this. And this is the rubber meets the road uh, section of our Bible that tells us if they were hungry, I gave them something to eat. If I, they were thirsty, I gave them something to drink. If they were naked, I helped clothe them. If they needed a place to stay, I found a roof for them. If they were pregnant, I helped them. He says in 2540, by the way, I, I, that was from the book of Buddy, that last piece there. Matthew 2540, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. As I've mentioned before, this is not a, I need to humiliate someone today sermon. This is not a sermon where I want to put you down if you acted this way in the past. And if you see someone in the line at Planned Parenthood, you don't need to yell out from your car and honk your horn, make fun of them, or say derogatory remarks, because what he tells us in the proverb is to be graceful towards everyone. You see, we have to demonstrate the grace of God for those who have given up preborn children. We have to help them with post-abortion counseling, we have to lead them to a place to recognize that God's house is a God of grace and mercy and peace and that they can come to actually overcome what they've done in the past. Because none of us are clean. None of us are without sin. I mean, Jesus 
drew the line in the sand for the lady who was caught in adultery. He drew the line and said, he who is without sin, throw the first stone. And there's a reason they all walked away sorrowfully. Because they reflected on it and knew what they had done. The reminder for all of us, Jesus' blood covers all sin. All sin. What I understand is post-abortion trauma weighs heavy on the hearts of women who have made this decision in the past. It cripples them. It hurts them. Uh, it causes them to have depression and anxiety and a host of also physical ailments. These women need us to reach out to them and assure them that they are not alone in sins against God in this world. As we are here today, what God calls us to do is to be defenders of the faith. God calls on us to take care of those who cannot care for themselves. To reach out to those that have made mistakes in the past and are, are on a perilous pathway uh, to destruction, God wants us to reach out and make sure that they know there is mercy and grace for them. So this morning, I simply ask, have you called on Jesus to save you from your sins? Have you recognized Jesus as Lord? Have you recognized that your sins have separated you from God? And are you willing at this time to either discuss that or be baptized? Jesus can save you from your sins. Oddly enough, at times people walk away from Jesus. There are a host of reasons, there are a host of, of ideas and thoughts of why the church no longer is meeting the needs of people. I read today where one of the great uh, Christian rock singers has made the decision to walk away from the church. And as I looked at his reasons, they seemed hollow. But always, it seems like there's hurt involved. Hurt by people. And oddly enough, hurt people hurt people. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What that means is we're all hurt people. We may be actually uh, sinful people, but we are, and I hate to use the term, but we are recovering sin people. We are trying to get away from the sin that has burdened us down. We have handed it over to Jesus, and we have let him make us new. I know for me, I look back to the cross. I know that on May 18, 1974, the cross called me. The cross cried out to me. The cross actually spoke to me in such a way that I knew that I needed salvation. And if by chance you've reached that point, whether you need to be 
made new this morning or to be run new this morning, what we want to do is actually give you that opportunity. Eric's going to lead us in a song. At the same time, one of our elders is actually going to go over to the conference room. Uh, You can come forward here or you can go to the conference room and do this. But please do this while we stand and while we sing. He will say.